Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Dirty Talk podcast. This is TC Rollins. And this is Rain DeGray. And since this is an even-numbered episode, it is coming to your ears, well, coming to the general public's ears. Ooh. Because all the odd-numbered episodes go directly into our patrons' heads. Right. Exclusive. Exclusively into the ears of our Patreon supporters. But if you are part of the general public at large, welcome to the podcast. So good to have you join us. Have you ever heard people complaining about undoing bras? One of those people would be me. They're really hard. They get tangled. It's yes. We're talking about the back clasp ones. That back clasp. The standard bra that you consider to be a bra. Yes. Because I know that it's a running joke with a lot of stand-up comedians and, you know, guys can't get it undone and it interferes with the flow of the sexy time. People feel awkward and clumsy when you're trying to undo that clasp. I actually did a training video for how to undo bras in a sexy and confident manner. Yes. And, and how many takes did it take to actually so- <laughs> get it so you could do it smoothly and confidently? Um, there were multiple takes. I'm not going to give you an exact number, but even as an educator trying to teach people how to confidently and smoothly take off a bra, there were um, more than one take mm-hmm. in order to make it work yes, yes. Yeah, i've practiced the the smooth one-handed motion of just the, sure. the simple snap and then it yeah. falls open like right? you see in all the the romantic films where it's right. so easily removed you know you only have one man to blame for this clasp i mean blame or praise the 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 chest situation can be difficult to wrangle i speak from personal experience mm-hmm. he probably needed something really sturdy and full of good construction to contain all those heaving sweater puppies. Who is this one man? Well, it actually, it was not the man that invented the brassiere. Somebody else came along later on that invented this clasp that is not a button or a snap or anything like that. This particular kind of clasp that you usually only see in the back of the brassiere. And it supposedly was invented because this person hated suspenders and wanted to find a new way to improve as was stated at the time it was going to be an improvement in adjustable and detachable straps for garments hmm i've seen them on slips and uh skirts occasionally Mm -hmm. yeah they claimed Mm -hmm. that it was going to improve vests pantaloons and other garments upon which this kind of strap could be used do you know who invented this clasp and this will kind of amaze you um sir pillow bottom <laughs> have you have you brought up sir pillow bottom before i have he's a very busy accomplished fellow he gets a lot done no it was mark twain no yes i don't believe you what? look it up online mark twain Invented, invented the, the bra clasp. clasp? Yeah, he invented the clasp that what? holds bras closed. What? I bet you're okay. going to go look this up. I don't, I'm going to go afterwards. look it up right now. Oh, you're going to look it up right I'm now? I'm going to do it right now. You're, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> it's not live, that I, while we're yeah. live on this recorded podcast. All right, edit this, edit this bit inv- out here. Click, click, click. Invent the bra clasp? Garments to fit them? Wow. He has a patent and everything. Yes. Mark Twain patented this clasp that is usually only seen on the back of bras, patented it in 1871. I did not know that until this moment. 
And I'm letting you and our listeners know I will never forget that. And your Ever. Mind that is, is blown. My mind is blown and it's filed away in the permanent memory banks. I've already lost the year. It was 18 what? 71. 1871. I don't know that I'm going to be able to remember 1871, but the fact that he invented what we now use as the bra clasp, I'm going to remember that forever. And I bet that at some point in the future, you will work that fact into one of your classes. Oh, you know I will. It's I'm already making plans to do so. Correct. <laughs> By the way, FYI, Mark Twain yes. invented this clasp. Yes, yeah. Yes. For those of you that do not listen to the Dirty Talk podcast and didn't know, I just found it out this week myself, and I was like, when I saw it, of course, I had to look it up right away. I was like, "What? That's bullshit." But no, yeah, he uh, patented so cool. it under his legal name, Samuel Clemens. I saw that. Yes. So the next time anyone out there is struggling to get straight to the hot and heavy, but you are fondling and fiddling with that unruly strap in the back, curse you, Mark Twain. Curse ah. you. Ah, ah, ah. I love it. That That is some high quality content. That's why I come here every week for sure. That's delightful. Moving on. You know that we have certain things in our lives that we become habituated to and have a hard time working out of. I know we've talked about the uh, toilet paper roll over under debate before and we are both it's firmly over. over. And there yeah. are some things that you are very much a switch with. Uh, elaborate. One of these things, well, what's coming to mind is the side of the bed that you sleep on. Oh, yes. I am a bed anarchist. Mm. It doesn't, I sleep every which way. I actually think it's more of a male thing to have a specific side of the bed that this is the side I sleep on. Mm. I'll sleep in the middle. I'll sleep starfish. I'll sleep sideways. I'll sleep diagonal. But there's no side necessarily that you feel more comfortable on over no. one or the other. Because most people will have a set side that they want to sleep on. And the question I was trying to find out, and everybody has a different opinion on this, is which side of the bed is the left side and which side is the right side? The left side is the left side and the right side is the right side. Obviously, duh. Of course. But then how would you determine it? Because I looked around for this answer because there's been numerous studies done on which side of the bed you prefer to sleep on and what it says about your personality. But then I was like, okay, I know what side of the bed I prefer to sleep on, but then there's no clear concrete methodology for them to explain, by the way, when we say left side of the bed, it means this side of the bed or right side. What I'm assuming when you look at the bed, if you're at the foot of the bed and you are looking at the bed, the side on the, your right hand side is the right side, and the side on your left hand side is the left but side. But if you're in bed, but if you're in the bed, in, but that's what some people totally, are arguing. Though yeah. is like, well, no. But if you're in bed and you're laying there in the bed, then it's going to be flipped. Right. I would say that the time spent in the bed, looking at the bed, doesn't count because you're not in the bed. It's when you're in the bed and lying on your back that you know which would be the left side or the right side. Okay, but then here's the counter argument to that. As some people were saying, is that I think there's only one objective way you can look at it, and that's from outside the bed. Because if you're lying in the bed, if you're sleeping on your stomach, then it's flipped. So it's subjective. If you're in the bed, the right or left hand no. side is subjective. 
No. It's true. I disagree, I disagree with that. When you're in bed, you can tell if you're on the right side or the left side. Staring at a bed doesn't count. <laughs> when you're, in when you're like, when you're, when you're flipping on your side, suddenly, no. Then, if, then you're, you if you're on your stomach, then the left side then, is the right side. But people flip around all the time. I'm uh, like a... So that's why I'm saying there's only one real objective way to look at it. And that is by standing and looking at the bed. I disagree. I disagree so much. I disagree with your logic. You're wrong. I'm in bed. Well, the thing is, I flip to my left. I flip to my right. I'm on my stomach. I'm on my side. Like, I'm constantly rotating like one of those little hot dogs in those sizzling metal cages that they have at gas stations where the hot dog goes in the little Ferris wheel of pain. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like when I sleep or fail to sleep. I'm left, right, up, down. But I, I can tell when I'm on the right side of the bed. Left or right. You have to be in bed for it to count. If you're standing at a bed staring at it. If you're looking at it, this is the area. It's kind of like. What if you're like <laughs> on the corner? What if you sleep sideways? What if you sleep the middle of the bed? Like it's amusing to me how you are. You could overanalyze something and spiral yourself into just utter chaos. And before you know it, you're like molecules and who knows and anarchy. I'm in bed. There's the left. There's the right. Well, I wanted to figure out what this was because I was looking at some studies, but they they didn't identify what they meant by left or right side of the bed. Because as according to some studies, people who sleep on the left side of the bed wake up happier and better equipped for dealing with stresses and the pressures of life. And those that sleep on the right side are likely to be grumpier and have a far more negative outlook. So I was like, okay then I definitely want to sleep on the left-hand side of the bed. But you don't. You sleep You sleep on the right side. But I sleep on the left-hand side if you're facing the bed and looking that at the bed, I'm on the left-hand side of the no. bed. Nope. But, it, but it does because I like one of the infographics for one of these studies I found, I'm going to share this with you real quick. And you see in this infographic oh, for the study, they're clearly wrong. showing that this person is on the left-hand side of the bed being, if you're facing the bed at the foot of the bed, looking at the bed, the left-hand side of the bed is left and the right-hand side of the bed is on your right. That's so chaos. That I would have to assume that since they came up with this infographic, this is what they mean. So I am sleeping on the left-hand side of the bed, which means that I am less stressed and prepared for life. I question that graphic and not everything you find online is gospel. I think there was some underpaid graphic designer who was, it was a it study put together by what was it? Qualities in? Qualities? It was put together by a company called One Poll and they were doing a survey for a company called Slumber Cloud for sleep studies. And right, I like don't, that. I don't, I don't question the survey. I'm I'm mm. I'm questioning who is the person actually designing that one graphic. Okay, I will share the graphic along okay. with this. It'll be on the website. I will put that graphic up. People it's can decide flipped. for themselves. But I'm it's telling you, totally it's, it's so up for debate as to which is the I, there's right a lot of debate. I'm I'm of sensing that. the debate we're doing right now. I can I I can see how complex this issue could be. You sleep on the right side. Mm -hmm. Another study of a thousand adults that was uh, conducted by Sealy UK showed that people that slept on the left are 8% more likely to love their job and to have a lot of good friends. However, people that slept on the right are more likely to enjoy their own company. So that's why I was like, you enjoy your own company. Maybe you are sleeping on the right hand side of the bed. 
I have always deferred uh, because I'm a bed anarchist. I have always deferred every time I've shared a bed with someone, they have really, I sleep on this side, I sleep on that side and I don't care. So I sleep on whatever side isn't your precious side. I was thinking I might try sleeping on the other side of the bed. You've tried that before and you've hated it. Well, but it might be good for me. It would be good for you. The other study that we talked about that was uh, performed by one poll found people that sleep on the left-hand side of the bed identify as more left-brained. Right-brained people sleep on the right side of the bed. Lefties on that left side prefer beer over wine, while the opposite is true for the right-handed. People that sleep on the left like oldies music and drama films, while right sleepers like rock music and action flicks. So I'm like in the middle there. Like I don't jibe with any of these stuff. Also, you can be left or right politically depending on which side you sleep on as well. See, I'm wondering if maybe these polls are flawed too, because if you just ask somebody how you identify what you like and then what side of the bed you sleep on, where's the control if it's so subjective and people are like, oh yeah, I sleep on the right, but like who's right Hmm? or who's left? So you're bringing a point with flawed data that's all over the place and we we can't even establish basic parameters. Mm, I just found it interesting. No, I I mean, it is interesting, but I'm more bogged down in the the weeds, the swamp, the molasses tar pit Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out the difference between left and right because I think it's in the bed. I think that you're a right side sleeper. Mm. Well, according to feng shui, it is better to get out of bed on the left-hand side because feng shui associates the left side of the bed with family, health, money, and power. However, there is an old superstition that is unlucky to get out of bed with your left leg first. So if you do want to get out of the left-hand side of the bed, do it. Make sure you don't get out left leg first. Also, the Romans were careful to always get out of the bed on the right-hand side because it was superstitious that the left-hand side was unlucky. And some Romans even believed that it was so unlucky that you could you should never put on your left shoe first. Superstition is just how people deal with the fact that they don't know what's going on. It is. I'm just trying to figure out which side of the bed I need to sleep on. So you're for a better climbing life. out and then putting down <laughs> one leg. And if you do it right and you do the funky chicken dance and you hop on the one foot and you pat your tummy and rub your head, very important to do it in that order. You will be blessed with good fortune. Yes. And or, then everything will fall into place from there. Or, or, or hear me out. It's a steaming load of nonsense. <sighs> Fine. One thing I read that might give you a little hope is, uh, according to one study that was conducted in uh, Hong Kong by Shoyan University, people that slept face down on their stomach with their arms stretched above their head had more sexual dreams. Face down on their stomach? Face down on their stomach with their head, with their hands... As if they're a mat- like a mattress <laughs> Superman of some sort. Suppose you're lying in the prone position, face down. I mean, that looks like the ultimate power bottom move. Okay, is that why you would be having more sexual dreams? Face down, ass up. I don't know. I have tits. I couldn't assume that position. I couldn't face. Have you seen these breasts? I would couldn't sleep face down. That's 
No? Okay. People also had more lucid, vivid dreams when sleeping this way. They also had more dreams of UFOs. Right. Uh, vivid dreams. Maybe anal that's... probing. Maybe there's more dreams of anal probing. That's the oxygen deprivation because you're sleeping face down and you're Possibly. huffing mattress. Well, yeah, of course you your dreams your face are going to be directly into your mattress. Your, your head has to be turned to one side or the other. As you're still eliminating. You're building up a pocket of carbon dioxide, exhaled breath. You're short-circuiting your own brain cells and your dreams get very vivid. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, so, this, so this is why I want, I'm trying to always hack my life. Make right. my yes, life better. Are. So obviously, I need to guarantee that I'm sleeping on the left side of the bed, whichever side that is, with my <sighs> face in the mattress and my uh-huh. arms stretched above my head, get out of the bed, I guess on the left-hand side, according to Feng Shui, because I want all that family money and power, but I have to do it right-footed first so that it's not unlucky. And then everything falls into place. You have forgotten the very crucial steps step of the fact. Three, step three, profit? <laughs> no. Step three, in order for all of that to work out, is that you have to have a very fine uh, deerskin bag, handmade by virgin Tibetan nuns, mm-hmm. right? And inside the bag needs to be the ash, the purified ash of uh, dragon eggs. Okay. Very important, yeah. right? yeah. And also a little bit of a sprinkle, just a just a titch of cinnamon. That's important for it, right? Just for a little and spice. For a little spice and one single crystal tear. Hmm. Now, if you do that and get out of bed properly and put your foot down, and when your foot does hit the floor, you have to jump up and down while holding your breath uh-huh. and cursing Mark Twain's name. <laughs> while facing com- north. And you'll be fine. Everything that that is the secret formula. It all falls into place. All right. Or or hear me out. It's all nonsense. It could all be nonsense. But I I am betting that some Tibetan virgin nuns would make a really good deerskin bag. Possibly, or they might make for some good sexy dreams too. Well, they're nuns. We shouldn't be thinking about sexy dreams with nuns. Heaven forbid. <laughs> That's so bad. To, like, the so bad. That fetishizes nuns. It's it's true. I do. I'm fetishizing them right now in my head as we speak. Uh I um don't have anything as interesting as the Mark Twain bra strap, but I do have something that involves carrots. Okay. Which they're good for you. They're vegetables. They're uh, healthy. Oh uh, yes. That's good for the eyes. Yes, and and also good for interrupting things. New Zealand remains in a level four lockdown, and one of the implications of that is that we're spending a lot more time on Zoom calls. Do you remember a few years back when that one um, commentator had <laughs> his one child and then his second child burst into the room, followed by the mother desperately trying to get the kids and she did that deep dive to try and get the door closed. Mm-hmm. He was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the great thing about kids, those little rapscallions, is that they don't respect the sanctity of a Zoom call. And a New Zealand cabinet minister had made the unfortunate mistake of doing a grocery shop. And what she had purchased was a bag that contained an oddly shaped carrot. Can you guess what this carrot was shaped like? Was it square? Because most carrots are fairly phallic shaped. 
<laughs> so if it's oddly no. shaped, then it had to have. Was it a trapezoid? No. A rhombus? No. It was a. It was a dodecahedron. <laughs> it was a very rude shaped carrot. It was sure carrots are phallic shaped, but I guess this was very, 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 very phallic-y, This carrot, and the cabinet minister's son was going through the carrots and saw the penis carrot and decided that was the moment that he needed to share it with his mother and burst through the door in the middle of her Zoom call waving around uh, the penis carrot uh -huh. and not cooperating with her attempts to get her son and the penis carrot off the very important call. And she has now vowed as a result, she's gone viral and um, it, the, the carrot... Um, Yes. <clears throat> she has made a personal vow in an attempt to regain her dignity that she's not going to purchase any more oddly shaped carrots. What about any other phallic vegetables? You could screen through your groceries and try and avoid any phallic shaped vegetables, but also maybe an easier thing would be to get a lock on the door. They say carrots are good for your eyes. Mm -hmm. That's them. They're always saying things. <laughs> they do talk a lot. Uh, we both like weird and wacky and unusual things. Mm -hmm. I came across today a article of someone who is one of a kind. As far as we can tell, they are the only human being that can do this. And it involves their eyeballs. What do you think? There's only one person in the world we know of that can do something with their eyeballs. Okay. Um, I know that... There are a number of people that can inject their eyeballs from their head. They can eject. Well, haven't you? You've oh, seen the people oh, that oh, can okay. pop their eyeballs yeah, out, yeah, like but up, I to, mean not... up to like an inch, even. I don't remember what the world record for eyeball popping was. I know it was a big deal for a little while there. Once somebody went on TV, it was like, oh, I can pop out my eyeballs. And all of a sudden, there are people all over the place, but like, oh, I'm an eyeball popper. <laughs> Uh, no, this yeah, the, the, this is not about um, loose connective tissue for your mm. eyeball that barely keeps it in your skull socket. Is it? Is he the only person that can lick his own eye? Ah, uh, that'd be pretty cool. No, he's not. Mm. He is the only person so far that we are aware of who has voluntary control over the muscles of his pupils. People can, of course, control to a certain degree the size of their pupils with uh, indirect methods like looking up at the sun and your pupils are going to constrict or heading into a dark room and putting a bag over your head. Your pupils are going to enlarge. Mm -hmm. But we recently came across the one human who at the age of roughly 15 or 16 realized that he could control the muscle of his pupil and he could cause it to to tremble go back and forth like flutter mm -hmm. and he didn't if you don't know at 15 you're like sure can't everyone yeah, yeah. make their pupils dance the watusi he describes it as constricting the pupil feels like gripping tensing something making it larger feels like fully releasing and relaxing the eye Despite the fact that we're all pretty much working with the same template and the same body parts, how they manifest from person to person can vary wildly. Mm -hmm. And 
if you think about it, a pupil is a muscle, right? Like it, it, it moves involuntarily, but someone's going to be able to have the ability to have voluntary control over their pupils. Mm -hmm. I think it's so, it's a cool trick. Like if he was actually going to be a superhero, it probably like the amazing pupil man, he probably wouldn't <laughs> the be able ability to the power to dilate my pupils at will. Well, well, here's the thing that he, if, if, if he wanted to be a criminal, he could use the fact that he could increase his pupils and get through dark rooms. He could be a very effective cat burglar. Okay. Also, uh, yeah, being able to see in the dark better. Also, uh, he would save a lot of money on sunglasses because mm -hmm. he wouldn't ever be blinded by the sunlight. He could just shrink those pupils in. Uh -huh. And I mean, when you purchase sunglasses, you're losing them all the time anyway, right? I haven't worn How sunglasses in years. Maybe you have power over your pupils. Possibly. I, I, it's a cool trick. I, I want to be able to have voluntary control over my pupil muscles. I read this and then I tried it and it, it, I wasn't able to control my pupils. I'm sad to report. I'm sorry. I think there's a, another muscle in my body that I would rather have voluntary control over. Is it your sphincter? <laughs> Is it your nip? I have control over my sphincter. Is I mean, maybe you don't have control. Are you trying to tell us something? Is it your <laughs> is it your nipples? No, it's not my nipple. Yeah, it's my nipple muscle. <laughs> so I have muscles in my nipples. How do you know? Have they not? You have not been lifting. Do you even obviously, lift, bro? Obviously not. No. I mean, I was I was making you know an innuendo there. I know that there's no real muscle that controls this thing. It's just all blood flow. But it was just a, it was just an innuendo. Oh, okay. I, I got sidetracked with nipples. Nipple muscles. Okay. I don't have any. As far as I know, I mean, I have pectoral muscles. As far as I know, unless you know differently, I don't think my nipples have any muscles. Well, they have to expand and contract. So there's got to be something happening there, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just skin. We'll have to look into it. Right. Maybe it's really tiny, tight, tense nipple muscles. Possibly. I'll, I'll look up to see in my uh, anatomy book if I can find the nipple muscle. Well, you could always start a workout program for your nipples, get little tiny barbells, like get, get some towels, really, really small, tiny, like tea towel, like smaller than tea towels and, and start a workout program for your nipples and you could get them nice and up and hard and erect. And eventually, if you were determined enough and taking your nipple training seriously enough, uh -huh. you could make them practically indestructible uh-huh practically is this is this some elaborate segue into something not <laughs> as indestructible as stonehenge oh wow listen to that seamless segue my god it is okay to be dazzled by my segue skills i'm often dazzled by them for sure okay all, all right. right so from nipples to stonehenge of course Right, right. You, you've I drawn hate, that logical line. It, it it was not so much a line. I mean, there was just some wandering mm -hmm. off into you know various hills and dales, but it was more of a wander than a straight line. All right. Our listeners might not know it, but as a child, I had a huge obsession with Stonehenge. Uh -huh. I heard about it at a young age, and it just impacted me. And the those massive stone, much like well-trained nipples, <laughs> monuments <laughs> piercing, piercing the sky. Wow. Really... You're just going to ride this Stonehenge nipple connection in the crown, aren't you? 
I've made the connection. Mm -hmm. I've done the transition. It was beautiful. Thank you all for going on this journey with me. I became super fixated with Stonehenge. And nipples. Stonehenge more than nipples. To the point that when we were given, as children in school, we were given a holiday Thanksgiving assignment. And we needed to write a story Uh about what happened to a turkey for Thanksgiving. And my turkey ended up accidentally slipping into a crack in the space-time continuum and ended up accidentally time-traveling back to Stonehenge. And everyone else was doing their Thanksgiving turkey story. It was like, oh, it was my family and turkey, and what did your turkey do? And Uh it lived a long, happy life. Mine time-traveled back into Celtic days and was there when Stonehenge was being built. Even though turkeys come from the Americas. Mm. Yes, mm. that didn't matter. Hey, I am an artist. And they're only and- called turkeys because they they were imported to Turkey. And then once they finally arrived in England, people were like, oh, look at these great birds from Turkey. And they just started calling them turkeys. I don't think that my teacher really appreciated how I took the Thanksgiving turkey assignment and turned it into a confused time-traveling fowl. Mm-hmm. In England, but I did because of how much I've always liked Stonehenge. And for the longest time, I called it Stone Hedge. Hedge, Stone Hedge, just mm-hmm. all these hedges, these giant hedges made of stone. Yeah. It took me a while to shift it to hinge. What is, what is the hinge? What is it? But it is Stone Hinge. The reason that it has stood the test of time, unlike your out of shape nipples, is that we have now done. You're rolling your eyes. Why are you rolling your eyes at me? Because, I mean, yeah, my nipples are only 43 years old. <laughs> I mean, yes, granted, Stonehenge is quite a bit older. And we have just recently figured out that it is made out of a nearly indestructible ancient material. Rock? <laughs> Stone? Okay. Okay. <laughs> You, okay, you're a brat. The The geochemical composition actually made it uniquely well-equipped to stand the test of time mm-hmm. more than your average just rank-and-file stone. Just my this usual is, everyday old rock. It is incredibly durable and unusually resistant to erosion and weathering. It is made from 99.7% quartz crystals and the mm-hmm. stone is practically indestructible so are these kind of like the crystal tears i need to have in my sleep pouch my yes t- my tibetan virgin nun sleep pouch correct okay right and that's where you will get all the health and luck and wealth and happy family and whatever it is they promise you from whatever side of the bed you happen to emerge from mm-hmm. like a flourishing large petaled butterfly emerging from your cocoon ready to grab success by the wavelets. Yes. The reason that we found this very fascinating thing about how indestructible Stonehenge is, is that there was repair work done in 1958 and there was some drilling done into stone. This is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Stone 58 was drilled in 1958, but I'm sure that's not connected in any way, Mm -hmm. even though everything is connected. 
these core samples had been sitting around for over 50 years, and we finally got around to testing them and analyzing them, which is hard. You can't exactly go drilling in these days. They're like, nah. Mm -hmm. But we had some laying around, and we tested it, and the stuff is essentially indestructible. It will be around long after your nipples. Well, I think a lot of things will be around long after my nipples. I've been to Stonehenge, and it was there. I walked around. You can't get too close to it these days, but yeah, I. I there aren't any sex and drug there. orgies. Used to be back in the day. I, I wasn't crazy. invited to any, so obviously uh, they're not happening. There's a lot of sheep, though. That's what uh, took my attention. It's just that it's just out. It's out in the middle of this pasture, and there's just sheep everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. As you can walk around the outside loop of it. I'm sure, you know, at some points you can take tours of the inside. But when we went, there's just a big walking path around the outside of it. You can walk around and be like, yep, there it is. It's Stonehenge and fields of sheep. Right. Um, I mean, it is just giant rocks. But, you know, cool. Anywho, mm -hmm. um, you have actually rested your eyeballs on it. And so has my time-traveling turkey. But mm -hmm. I have not. Oh, excellent. Before we finish up, I have one last bed fact for you. Go on. I'm listening. I don't know if we've talked about this before. Uh, William Shakespeare's will. Yes. Yes. What he left to his wife. Second best bed. <laughs> Second best bed. Back in the day, uh, beds were taken really seriously. Oh, yeah. People would travel with beds. Uh, we didn't quite have the fine art to where beds were now. But yes, uh, there was tension in the old Shakespeare house, and he wasn't particularly fond of his wife. Mm -hmm. And I, the nobility and royalty would always travel with beds because you couldn't trust what you would come up with. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it was just straw in a burlap sack. Yes, I just I feel bad for this lady who was his wife of 34 years and the mother of his children. And all she received was his second best bed. Did it say who got the best bed? I, I couldn't find any mention of who got the best bed. However, what I could find was that under medieval common law in England, a widow was still entitled to one third of the late husband's estate, even if they were not specifically mentioned in the will. So she still probably got a decent amount of stuff. The only place where she was mentioned in the will was him giving her this second best of beds. It, it's been theorized that a huge amount of tension in the Shakespeare's marriage was the fact that she was 26 and he was 18. So she was a full eight years older than him and mm -hmm. she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And he, he, once he got her knocked up, he had to marry her, ah. but he didn't, he didn't want to. It was a, one of those forced marriages because she was, ah, uh, had a bun in the oven, had oh. a little Shakespeare in the oven, as it were. So, yeah, at 18, when you put your dick in someone eight years older than you and get her pregnant, then you have to marry her mm -hmm. and stick with her for the rest of your life, and you end up bitter about it, and that's why you give her your second best bed. I think they called that a the ye old flintlock wedding. <laughs> they probably did. Yes. 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 <laughs> Well, that's what we have for you this week. I believe you have a jaunty salute ready and waiting for these fine folks. Yes, I've been working out the muscles on my fingers. Unlike your nipples, they're really jaunty they're, and firm. They're so hard and rigid, just like Stonehenge rocks. <laughs>
Okay, I'm gonna. Okay, wait, wait. Give me a moment. Looks All right, I'm like good. A, some sort good... of phallic carrot. <laughs> okay, my engorged phallic carrots are firing off a jaunty salute for you and our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you next week. Bye for now. Over and out, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>